Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. If you've been here over the last few weeks, not only have you heard messages about uh, the characters that make this Christmas story what it is, but you've also actually enjoyed uh, at least two child dedications, right, over the last couple of Sundays. The third Sunday before, we had baptisms, which is the most amazing, amazing morning of my year. I enjoyed it very, very much. Thank you. But then we had two weeks in a row where we had child dedications, and um, I'm, I'm thrilled to say that this morning we have another one. Chris is absolutely freaking out right now. He knows nothing about this. But our message, it's not a physical, real one right here, but our message this morning is based around a child dedication, uh, a child dedication that has gone down in history and uh, exploded the world. It reminds me a little bit of one of my own um, children's dedications. And by way of self-introduction, uh, Andrea and I, a number of years ago, 1997 exact, to be precise, we went, uh, we knew the Lord calling us to a life of mission and outreach and discipleship. And we took our family, at that stage was one one-year-old child. He was dedicated in Wellington in our church back then, and we went and made our home in Jordan in the Middle East and proceeded to, to give ourselves to a life there of outreach and life and discipleship and living. And we had two more children there, two more sons. And when our second boy came along, we wanted to continue the tradition that was our pleasure to dedicate him to the Lord. And there we were in Jordan, so what better thing to do than to go to the Jordan River? I mean, how, how fantastic, how glorious is that? And the Jordan River Valley and the Jordan access to the Jordan River was about half an hour from our front door. So we did that quite a bit. In fact, what I wanted to tell Don was one of the other things we used to do was we used to go to one of Herod's summer castles and play and have a picnic on Friday afternoon after church. The ruins of one of his summer castles overlook the Jordan River Valley and the Dead Sea and look across to Jerusalem. And so that was another one of our, our little access places for, for great pleasure. But this day, we decided to go down to the Jordan River and dedicate our second son, uh, Joseph. And we had some friends visiting from, from New Zealand, which is an extra bonus. So we took a picnic, we went down. It's not that easy to get right up to the, to the Jordan River. Um, surprisingly enough, there's a lot of vegetation and there's some laws and rules. So we found a nice little tributary stream about so big that flowed down into the Jordan River. And we thought, this is a beautiful place. How romantic. Um, it couldn't be better. Let's dedicate our son here. So we gathered around. There was only uh, five or six of us. We said prayers, we sprinkled our son with some water, we committed him and his life to the Lord and poured out all our hopes and dreams. And then Andrea tapped me on the shoulder and she said, honey, there's a, there's a guy on the hill over there waving and shouting his arms. And I looked up and sure enough, about 100 meters away, there's a guy waving and shouting his arms. And then someone else said, I think he's got a gun. I'm like, yep, he, yeah, no, he's definitely waving, he's shouting his arms, and he's got a gun. This is not how I imagined this child dedication to go. 
And then as I took a few steps towards him, I realized that he was a soldier and that he was pointing and shooing us away. And so we gathered up our stuff, we turned around and to head back to the car, and right behind us was a great big sign that said, Danger, landmines, keep out. <laughs> so if you have a baby or coming and you're planning to dedicate them to the Lord, I highly recommend that Gateway is a safe and lovely place to do that. And I encourage you to pursue it. So today we're looking at another child dedication and we're in Luke chapter 2 and we're going to be there for a while. And we're talking about our characters who are a pair, not a couple, but they are a pair. Do you know who we're going to be talking about? Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna are our characters this morning. And just before we read the text, let me give you a little bit more of the background. Joseph and Mary are at the temple in Jerusalem with their little baby. Their hopes, their dreams, everything that's gone before are bundled up in this six-week-old child. They are doing happily what is required by the law. They are dedicating their firstborn son to the Lord and making a sacrifice. This is a big deal. These are country people. They're in the enormous temple and they're obeying the law. It's a big deal. And you can imagine a little wee hint of of being overwhelmed, but there they are. This is the hub of Jewish worship. And remember, as Mike said to us last week, we are at a point in history where the, the people of Israel who have longed and longed and searched for God's Savior, Messiah, the solution the Holy One, the Anointed One, who would rescue them from all their enemies and all their problems. God has been prophetically silent for 400 years. And what's more, Israel is ruled by the iron fist of the Roman Empire. And there's King Herod, their puppet king, the ruthless, foolish monster of Palestine. And all of this is churning around them. And they bring their six-week-old little boy, Jesus, to the temple to be dedicated. That's where we are. So let's read Luke 2, and we're going to read from 25 to 38. It's going to be on the screen. However you like to enjoy the Word of God, read along, listen, close your eyes on your device in your Bible. Let's read Luke 2, 25 to 38. So they've made their dedication, they've made their offering of worship, and there they are. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations." 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's parents, the child's father and mother, marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I'm going to draw three key things out of this that have blown my November out of the water. But don't worry, the first one is a big point and the other two are brief and short. Number one, Simeon and Anna teach us that Jesus is for all peoples. Jesus is for all peoples. Who is this Simeon? Is he a regular guy? Simeon is described in verse 25 as righteous and devout. These can sound like very high-powered terms, but they don't actually mean that he was perfect and holy as they might sound to our 21st century ears. They are used as relative terms when those kind of words are used about mere humans like you and I and Simeon and Anna They are relative to the times. So to be righteous means to be just or honest. And it really means here that Simeon knew and admitted that he wasn't perfect and holy, but that he knows that he is not as he should be, and in fact that the world is not as it should be, that something is deeply wrong and a fix is needed, a solution. To be righteous is to be honest and to be humble enough to see oneself and the world that we live in and to weigh it up honestly and say, oh dear, Lord, I need you. We need you. And did you notice in verse 25 it says that Simeon was devout. And this is another relative term and it literally means devoted. Simeon was focused on God. He was devoted. And the idea speaks of reverence and a certain caution about the presence of God. Simeon didn't fluff around with God. He was actually a fairly regular guy. And many people can quite reasonably relate to this kind of righteousness and devotion. Verses 25, 26, and 27 tell us that the Holy Spirit was with Simeon and it's inspiring him to go places, giving him a sense of the future and leading him into the temple at just the right time to see the baby Jesus on this first Christmas. 
What about Anna? Who is she? Is Anna a normal woman? We're told in verse 36 that Anna is a prophetess. Now, essentially, this can mean that she is deeply, personally devoted to God. She's devoted to his word, his ways, and his law. And out of this gifting, she spoke inspired words of warning and encouragement. Verse 36 points out that she was of the tribe of Asher. And this whole title can seem quite grand and impressive, maybe a little untouchable. But I want to suggest to you that Anna's tribal identity is pointed out not because Asher was in some way glorious and remarkable. In fact, it's quite possible that we're told this point of her connection to this tribe precisely because being a prophetess of the tribe of Asher was not actually an unattainable characteristic, was not actually particularly remarkable in status. Maybe, and I'm treading very carefully when I say this, but maybe it's a little bit like someone hearing in a couple of thousand years' time that you were a prophet of Palmerston North. It's a lovely place. Sorry, Don. It's a lovely place. It's full of nice people. It's got a nice view, but it's not remarkable as a place to have come from in New Zealand, if I can be so honest. So, I grew up in Wellington, just down the road, really. So being a prophetess is noteworthy. Being from Asher, perhaps not so noteworthy. She is remarkable as a woman of faith and discipline devoted to God, but she is not an unattainable character for you and me. So while Anna was surely a faithful woman, living 84 years in the temple, praying and fasting, like Simeon, she is not a superpower celebrity character. Simeon and Anna are a man and a woman who you and I can mirror in our own lives because they are regular people who know something is wrong with the world. And they know they themselves are in need of grace. And they trust that God is the one who can fix the situation. Does that sound like you? Simeon and Anna appear in God's story. They disappear, never to be seen or heard of again. They wander in. They experience Jesus. They praise God. They tell others. And they wander off. Jesus is for people just like this. But way, way beyond Simeon and Anna, Luke, the writer of the gospel, goes out of his way to tell us that Christmas is not just for the faithful and devout, but Jesus is to be presented to all peoples. Verse 30 and 32, did you see this in the, in the text? Simeon says, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Jesus 
is for all New Zealanders. And all Saudis, and all Chinese, and all Indians, and all Kyrgyz, and Bahasa, and Hmong, and Arab, and all the ethnic peoples of the earth. These words that Luke uses do not describe countries, or churches, or temples, or political entities, but they describe tribes. And ethne is the word used, where we get our word ethnicity. So here we are in Jerusalem, in the central place of godly worship. The infant Jesus is being presented before the Lord, as he should be. He's being presented before two regular believers who've been waiting faithfully, as you'd expect, and these verses tell us that this Jesus is to be presented before all the ethnic peoples of the earth. It must be so. And when Simeon sings his song to the baby Jesus of his international significance, which is what he was doing, he is thinking all the way back to Genesis 12. And he's thinking of hundreds of times throughout the Old Testament when the prophets spoke of all the nations or all the peoples or when God said he was doing something in the sight of all people. These are common phrases that I suggest were on Simeon's mind. It was always God's plan that some people would bless all peoples with the good news of God that he's with us, that he's loving, that he saves, that he is the answer to our problem. We are the conduit of faith, hope, and love to the ends of the earth, salvation to all peoples in Jesus. And Luke is thinking all the way forward, prophetically, to the end of human time and age, to revelation. And he's thinking of all the prophets and all the promises in between. He's thinking of Genesis 12. He's got a lot on his mind. 12 verses 1 to 3. The launch pad of God's international mission. The Lord said to Abraham, now this is your job. You look, look for the, the theme and the idea. I've underlined it. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Luke wrote it. Simeon was thinking it. We are to receive it. He's thinking of the psalmist's words in Psalm 67, who was worshipping God in his international mission. These will be familiar words. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. If you've been at Gateway for more than two weeks, you know that we love those words. We love that phrase. We love that idea. And at the end of every gathering, 
We pray this over ourselves on purpose because we know that we need God's face because we know that God's face is synonymous with his grace. If we can get in his face, we will receive his grace. And the psalmist is singing the song of the ages. Why do we do it? Because that's what we know. But there's more. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all peoples, all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. This is the international theme of God for us. And Simeon is thinking of revelation, prophetically, of course, in the future. The concept, the idea that we read about at the end of the age when all the saints of all time and history are gathered together, worshipping before the throne. And in verse 9 9 to 10 of chapter 7, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Where were they from? From every nation, tribe, people, language, pantata ethne, from all the ethnicities, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And in case you're wondering about the reference in verse 32, that says that Jesus was the glory of your people, Israel. Israel is mentioned not because the blessing of God was to stop with them, but because it was to start with them. Israel is glorified in the revealing of Jesus and salvation because they were the privileged people given the greatest job in all the world to take the message and the person of salvation to the nations. And we hear Jesus' very own words at the end of this gospel. Here we are at the beginning, and we can reflect forward because we've read the end of the book. Jesus himself reinforcing his international focus. We hear him saying, in this just before his ascension. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there's that concept. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. This Jesus of Christmas is for all the peoples of the earth. But then Simeon goes on to make a sobering follow-up comment to Mary and Joseph, a comment that signals division that is coming to all peoples, sadly, when Jesus is presented, not as a harmless six-week-old baby, but as the only way of salvation. 
for the nations. Did you see this? He said, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Do you think Simeon was onto something? Has Jesus ever spoken against? For 2,000 years, families, cities, nations have been divided because of faith in Jesus. Oh, we're divided for a whole lot of reasons, aren't we, as a human race. But Jesus has been spoken against. And the nations and households have been divided. In recent years, ISIS identified Christian households and businesses with a letter from the Arabic alphabet to divide cities and towns and peoples and nations this letter is the letter N in the Arabic alphabet. It's the Nun. And do you know it stands for Nazareth? If that sign is painted on your door, if you live in northern Iraq or Syria, and that sign is painted on your house somewhere, that means you are known to be one of the followers of the Nazarene. The world is divided, and people speak against Jesus. In the Middle Ages, when Islam was spreading across North Africa and Europe, Christians who didn't convert were forced to wear a large wooden cross around their necks to identify them, to distinguish them, to differentiate them. And they were forced to pay what's called the dhimmi tax. And by paying this tax, they stayed alive, but they were humiliated as second-class citizens. And this cross distinguish them. And in later years, in Egypt especially, which has such a large Christian community of Coptic believers, early on in the, uh, the, the transition to a Muslim nation, Christians were forced to have the cross tattooed on their right wrist. That was so that they couldn't avoid being identified as Christians. They couldn't avoid being associated with Jesus the Nazarene even if they wanted to. But then, only a few decades later, they started to do it themselves on purpose. And many of my friends in the Middle East had a cross tattooed on their wrists. And when I first started asking about it, they said, oh, of course I did that. I did that on purpose. Why did you do that? So that I would never deny Jesus to anyone who asked and who spoke against him. Faith in Jesus divided the world right from the beginning. Simeon's word is also a warning to Mary. Basically, he was saying, oh, you're blessed, but your son's life and death is going to be hard to watch. Simeon and Anna teach us that Christmas means Salvation in Jesus is available and intended for all the peoples of the earth. But it will be received with a mixed reaction. Secondly, the second thing that Simeon and Anna teach us is that what we really want for Christmas is God's fix for our problems. Encouragement and salvation. In verse 25, it says, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
And in verse 38 it says, Anna spoke about the child to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. These are one and the same hope. Simeon's word consolation is equally translated encouragement. To be comforted, to be cared for, and it literally, quite literally means to be called near. And it includes in it the whole idea of relief that comes from the removal of grief. Relief that comes from the removal of grief. This is what Israel is waiting for. And of course, this is what the world is waiting for. Consolation and redemption. When our three boys were uh, about primary school, primary school and intermediate age, we went to a, a barbecue gathering meal together with a bunch of different families. And, uh, you know, if you've... If, you know about three or four or one boy, um, they love barbecues and family gatherings, and, and we're having a lovely time at this gathering. And then early on in the evening, one of my boys appeared on the bench and sat next to me, very close, right up close to me. And this is odd. I think, I know he loved me, but it wasn't dessert time, and we're, our kids were always the last ones to the car after such things. So I, I figured something was up. And I looked closely at him, and I remember he's a small boy, he would have been maybe 10, 8 or 10, and I saw in his face anxiety, and I saw in his eyes fear. And I said, what's wrong? What's going on? You can stay here as long as you like, but there's something wrong. And as it turns out, two bigger boys were threatening him. I think it was fairly harmless, but two bigger, older boys were threatening him. And he was anxious and worried, and afraid, and concerned. And he came and sat next to his father for safety, and security, and comfort, and consolation, and in a metaphorical sense, to be saved. This is the exact picture of that biblical word, consolation, and encouragement, and comfort. It's the same word. Anna's word, redemption, in verse 38, literally means rescue. We know redemption. It's a word we use a lot in church. To be fixed, to be secured, truly to be paid for. And both Simeon and Anna's words come to us from, again, their deep, ancient understanding of the story of God from Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 40 of Isaiah. The first part of Isaiah's letter is known as the book of judgment. And then you get to chapter 40 forward, and it's known as the book of encouragement. And straight off the bat into chapter 40, Isaiah says this, and this is what Simeon and Anna were thinking about when they spoke these beautiful words to Mary and Joseph. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. That's the same word. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. Comfort is consolation and care. Speak tenderly literally translates encourage. Her hard service has been paid for. Her sin has been paid for. Her hard service is over. Simeon and Anna teach us 
that the arrival of Jesus at Christmas is the fulfillment of God's promised coming near. For all who are anxious, for all who know that the world is not as it should be, for all who know that we are not as we should be, for all who feel that this life at times is hard service. Christmas is God's gift of comfort and encouragement and rescue. And Simeon and Anna are seeing the perfect fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that God would send his suffering servant who would do these two things, console and comfort people who draw near and pay for sin. This, of course, is Christmas, but Easter is coming. Jesus will suffer and die on the cross, and the words of Isaiah the prophet that we've just read will come true. Your sins have been paid for. Simeon and Anna eagerly wanted to see God's fix for our problems before they died. And Simeon was so relieved at the sight of Jesus that he literally said in verse 29, I can die now. He literally said it. Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, it it actually says, dismiss now your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all peoples. He took the baby in his arms. We know it says that. Presumably he asked his name. I imagine that Joseph would have said, he is Jehoshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. In obedience, he was named. Simeon is not saying that he wants to die. He's saying that he can now die in peace, knowing that salvation is here. And I want you to hear this this morning. We we can have the same peace and assurance too. If we turn to God and believe in Jesus, his life and his death on the cross coming, if we believe that our sins are paid for, then you too can lose the fear of death and enjoy God's beautiful peace. Please, if that's your desire, if that's where you're at today, please come forward at the end of the service over here when we have our prayer teams. We would love to pray for you. That relief, that joy, that delight in saying, I see it. Thank you, Jesus. And thirdly and finally, Simeon and Anna teach us how to wait well for Jesus' reappearance. They are both, and the text uses exactly the same word, so it leaps out. So that's your homework. If you want homework in your connect groups or in your own personal devotions or studies or whatever you, however you want to enjoy and savor God's word this week, look for the words that repeat themselves. Nations, consolation, comfort, encouragement. And this word comes up twice Waiting for the consolation of Israel, says Simeon in 25. And Anna spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. These words are exactly the same word, 
It's lovely in English the way we translate them differently because that's kind of like trying to expand the concept, but it's very helpful to see that it's the same word, and it literally means to eagerly expect and anticipate something very good. Simeon and Anna and many around them were looking forward to God's promised presence, Messiah. And later on in in the writings of the New Testament, this word is used many, many times. And the Apostle Paul uses exactly this word in what is possibly his last few weeks of life. He says, Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for. Some translations say, to all who have loved his appearing. But it it is literally this word. All who are looking forward positively to the reappearance and the return of Jesus. So what for us? I felt that this was the angle and this was the word for us now. For some need to hear this this morning. Don't grow weary in waiting for Jesus to come back. If it's been a long time for you, don't let the long wait between first turning to Jesus and following him and falling in love with him and devoting yourself to him and his second coming, don't let it develop into boredom or skepticism or apathy, please. Some of us here have been Christians for 10, 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 years or more. Anna's ministry was praying in the temple and talking to people about Jesus. That's how she waited well for Jesus. Simeon, we don't know. It's kind of cool. Musicians, if you'd like to come back and join me. But for you... And me, how do we wait well for the reappearance of Jesus? And I want to encourage you, if you are not already, please get involved in some kind of service that actively anticipates the return of Jesus. Get involved in a ministry that's looking forward to his return. Anything, and I'm... I mean anything that encourages people in the name of Jesus. Anything that serves people, comforts people, consoles people, counsels people, clothes people, heals people, calls them close to God. Anything. Whether it be one of the many, many things that we are formally and informally involved in in this church. I'm so proud of the dozens and dozens of of ministries and services that we're involved in here. We have people who visit prisoners. We have people who visit the sick. We have people who care for the homeless. We have people involved in all sorts of ministry and care and service of all kinds to the young and to the old, to the well, to the sick, to the teen. We have partnerships with international organizations from New Zealand to Cambodia to Jordan to Spain to India all around the world. This is a great way to wait positively for the return of Jesus. And let me close with this scripture 
The Apostle Peter wrote this, and I invite you to enjoy this word as we finish up and ponder this in your heart. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is how we wait well for the reappearance of Jesus. Jesus must be presented to all the peoples of the earth. What we really want for Christmas is encouragement and salvation. It's what the world needs. Let's wait well and look forward to Jesus' return by serving in his name. The Lord bless you and keep you. I hope that helps. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.